Christ-transforming culture. We began a series a few weeks ago about Christ-transforming culture, and we're going to get more into that as we go through this series. And in this first part of this series, we've been dealing with, let's just call them controversial issues among Christians. And when we have matters in which, in fact, I think we have a slide for that, when Christians disagree, how are you supposed to behave and how are you supposed to act when you disagree with a Christian brother or sister? And we began by looking at Romans 14, which, which talks about this is how you should get along, about being in the kingdom of peace and for mutual edification. This is how you should treat each other when you disagree on what are called disputable matters. And one of those disputable matters is this thing called politics. And I mentioned to some of you this morning, I, I thought, well, it's nice that you came back with a question I left you last week, but I said maybe I'd be better if I'd go in the drum enclosure to preach this message this morning, just in case. But you'll find out it's not quite as controversial sometimes as we make it out to be. I was reading, how many of you get the banner sent to your homes? Don't raise your hand. Some of you do. It's free. You might as well get it. And it, 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 to me, over the years, it's gotten better and better with, with uh, uh, letters and articles that have been written. And I got mine this past week. And when did you know it? It was about politics. And let me just share with you, near the back of, of, of this banner, and if you want, just call the office, the, give us your address, they'll send it to you. Listen to uh, what this young woman writes regarding a, a political issue in her life and in the life of her church and family. She says, you know, she's been talking earlier about uh, lives that matter. And she says, for most of my adult life, I was pro-life or, as I now define it, pro-birth. I always voted for pro-life candidates, no matter who, no matter what. But over the years, I became universally pro-life. Now, listen to that term. Over the years, I became universally pro-life. In other words, <clears throat> I became pro-life on every issue in which lives matter. So today, keeping all human life in mind, I ask, what does the candidate believe not only regarding abortion, but about the environment? How would this candidate vote regarding health care? What would this candidate do for those who are marginalized or looked down on in our society? After all, if we say all lives matter, then those all lives matter as well, not just lives of the unborn. Thousands die for their lack of clean drinking water, from hunger, from poor nutrition, from violence, poverty, and inadequate health care in the United States and around the world. As Christians, our pro-life stance cannot only extend to an unborn if we say and believe that all lives matter. <clears throat> then she writes this in concluding her article. She says, I left my church in 2008 after discovering that Christians in my church cared more about the unborn than people who disagreed with them on various issues, <clears throat> including people like me. I felt ostracized because of my different, differing opinions, and my fellow church members called me a murderer, a baby killer, and a non-Christian. She writes, I learned the hard way all lives matter except if you disagree. Now, we're going to, and we're going to get to the scriptures in just a moment. How do you respond when you read an article like that? 
Some of you might say, how did that ever get in the banner? Or some of others here this morning might say, what's taking so long for someone to write that in the banner? Because whenever we read articles like that or, or talk to persons like this individual, it's easy for us to become defensive as someone that least states what they believe regarding lives matter. What's your reaction? What's your gut reaction when you hear that? Because I'm sure you have one. <clears throat> and that just made me begin to think to a number of questions and let me share with you with them as, as we get to understand at least what I believe the scriptures teach about politics. Questions like this. Do you agree or disagree with what she wrote? Do you always vote for the pro-life candidate and only for the pro-life candidate because the abortion issue is the issue for you in politics? Is this the only matter that you base your vote on? What about clean water? She mentions clean water, hunger, poverty, uh, uh, marginalized in society. And then with that, how do you determine, what, what's your strategy as elections come and go? How do you determine who you're going to vote for? Surely you have some line of, of determination in your own mind, who you would vote for, and even what party that you might align yourself with. Is one party more Christian than the other? How involved should Christians be in government, in politics? And should the pulpit be used as a political platform for candidates to uh, give us their spiel? And then I asked my line of thinking. There's other questions, but I, I want to bring in as well. And how do you think, even though Jesus lived in an age when it was not at all like our political system, how involved would Jesus be in politics? Would he run for the presidency? Would he try to be a congressman, a representative, a governor, a judge? What do you think? How involved would Jesus be? And would Jesus even declare what particular political party that he supports more than the other? What do you think? I've heard so many times, and not given to me, but I just hear this among other Christians, things like, I can't believe you voted for Trump. What were you thinking? I can't believe you voted for Biden. What's the matter with you? You're a Christian. I can't believe that you align yourself with the Republican Party. I can't believe you align yourself with the Democratic Party or as an independent, or you don't align yourself with any of them. How can you possibly call yourself a Christian if you vote for this kind of person or if you belong to a particular political Party. You see, when it comes to politics, we don't all agree as Christians. Now, there was, I had another pick in this series that I took out, but there was a pick that said something like, can anyone help me find a church that I can attend, a Christian church, where we all agree on politics? Guess what? Is she still looking? I think so. Because you should know, in case you don't know, same way with you at Community. There's no perfect church. But you're never going to find a church if you're looking for a church that has all the same political uh, ideologies and the like. That church doesn't exist. Now, what's good as far as we seek the political realm is that we all are about justice. 
right? Even our, our Pledge of Allegiance with justice for all. We all agree that justice needs to be administered in our society. That's, that's not a problem. And we all believe and agree that that can be done, and it is a part of, of our, uh, our government to do that. The Bible makes that clear in Romans chapter 13. What we don't always agree on is when the Bible doesn't give us some clear directives on what kind of person should we vote for. Do you think the Christians in, in Paul's age all voted for Nero as emperor? Hey, that's a good guy. Let's vote him in. One of the worst uh, uh, emperors who ever lived when it came to, to respecting human life. What do you think? How, how can, we, can we possibly agree on who? And, and does the Bible tell us who we should vote for? Does the Bible tell us what political party we should belong to? I looked up politics in the back. I looked up Democrat and Republican. Can't find it. I'd like some guidance. And there are a number of things in the political realm that the scriptures do not address, and yet it addresses politics throughout. You say, that doesn't make sense. Oh, yes, it does. It makes a lot of sense. Who should we vote for? What political party should we belong to? And should we even be asking those questions? The Bible isn't always clear. I kind of wish sometimes that God would have just given us that blueprint. This is who you should vote for. This is the party you should belong to if you want to belong to a party at all. And that we find ourselves often in disagreement. And so what we need to do then is with any issue that we face that we can't find in the glossary in the back of our Bibles. What has God given us to help us in the process? Oh, the glory of the Father or the glory of the Son and the glory of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit now guides us, right, in, in all truth. Jesus had said that it would and he does. When we have to make decisions, even politically, we have this, this person of God within us called the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, in fact, it says, Jesus said, I think it's John 16, will guide us in all truth. And this Holy Spirit does. And we need to use the Holy Spirit and with the wisdom that God has given us to discern a Christian response to politics. And all of us who are Christians have the same spirit, not different spirits. We all have the same spirit. And yet with the wisdom that the Spirit gives us somehow in the end, with our conscience and decision-making as Christians, we don't all come to the same conclusion. And I think you can all accept that and agree with that. Uh, in fact, I even thought about this morning and saying, just, just, just to show kind of the differences we have, is that all of you who are on the left, let's just say you're Republic, uh, Democrats will sit over here, and all of you who are Republicans can sit over here, and all of you who are kind of like, I don't know, can sit in the middle. Why, why isn't a church set up that way? Because we would never set up a worshiping center in that way. And we're going to find out why as we go through this message. Using wisdom that God has given us to the Holy Spirit. You have in the back of your bulletin, if, if you're holding one, this, this acronym. And I just created this acronym this past week. I'm going to go down and, and use words. We're going to go through eight. Say, oh, I'm going to be here all afternoon. The roast is going to burn. No, I'm going to go through them really fast. We're going to go through these, this acronym of P-O-L-I-T-I-C-S. It's going to be on the screen as well as we go through it. And what I've done is, is I've, uh, man, I did so much reading in the past three weeks on this. I feel like I should run for office. I just, I did, but I'm going to, whatever. Would you vote for me? No. Um, and I, I had so much, I had like 25 pages of notes. And I'm like, how am I ever going to say all this in 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45 minutes, whatever. And it was interesting how, how, because sometimes I'll just take an acronym to help get through some things and to show, let me show you what we're, 
I'm going to share with you my notes with, these, with, these, with this acronym of politics as we seek to understand our place as Christians in politics. And we're going to start with this P that simply says personal conviction. And we talked about this last week. For those of you who weren't here last week, if you're visiting here for the first time, you can go to YouTube, I believe. Is it still on someplace else too? Or to YouTube, our church page. And you can look up Romans 14. I began this message with, with what this means regarding personal conviction. Because there are some sitting here this morning who have really, 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 really strong convictions when it comes to politics. And that's okay. But sometimes what we fail to understand, there might be the person sitting right next to us. Hopefully it's not your spouse because then you've got more problems than what you want to deal with. But somebody sitting next to you or behind you or in front of you who has really, really, really strong opinions as well. And when you two meet and collide, and this is what I talked about earlier as I began, how could you possibly, possibly be thinking in the way you're thinking or be involved in a political party that you're involved in? How can you possibly think that? And you know what? They're asking you the same question. Personal conviction. Romans 14, verse 5, remember, says, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of you should be fully convinced in your own mind when it comes to politics and who you vote for and what you stand for. And if you're going to be part of a political party, you need to be convinced in your own mind. And if you are convinced in your own mind and your conscience is not against either what Scripture says, you can stand before God someday and, and God might just say, hey, guess what? <laughs> you kind of had that one wrong. But he says, you be, if you're convinced in your mind and your conscience is, is giving you a high five, you go with it and you follow the stance that you have. As long as it is scripturally sound, you go forward and agree. Remember, what was it? Agree to disagree in your convictions. Even though you can't believe somebody thinks differently than you, they think the same of you. Secondly, opponents. I kind of, maybe you get tired of this as well when I, I don't watch a whole lot of this stuff about politics, but when I have an evening free or this or that I will, or, or, or I stopped watching CNN and Fox, okay? I, and maybe you should too. Or aren't they so one-sided? I can't remember. Anybody help me with that? They're kind of one-sided, aren't they? If you listen to one more than the other, it could really mess with your mind a little bit or it really enhances what you believe. Opponents, you know, part of the issue we have, which you know this already in Washington is, uh, it's two-sided. And it's so interesting, isn't it, when you watch a presidential speech or, or the like, a presidential address, everybody's clapping the whole time, aren't they? Oh, no, right? Who's ever, uh, if, if it's a Democrat who's bringing the speech, all the Democrats will get up and they'll all be clapping and the Republicans are sitting down saying, yeah, what's all this about? And if it's a Republican who's giving the presidential address, oh, the Republicans are up and standing and saying their hallelujahs. And the Democrats are like, no, no, no. And, and, if, and if, even if your own, someone from your own party is giving a presidential address, someone might even rip up their speech. I don't know. I think that happens. Right? They're opponents. Part of the problem with our system is, is that our, our, our candidates and our, and our politicians see themselves as opponents and as enemies. And we wonder why nothing, it seems, can ever get done in Washington. And I'm telling you, this is part of the, the base root of the problem. They see each other as enemies. God says, this isn't so for Christians. Remember what we heard last week? Civility in our conduct let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do you see that happening in Washington? I don't. 
Let's do what leads to peace. This is a Christian response. We're not in opposition to each other. We are Christians, which means we are one. Whenever we come to issues that we can't agree on, whether it's politics or other things, our response is we need to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. It's not happening in Washington, but don't use them as your, your, your guide of how I should respond as a Christian, because the Bible gives you that. Always seek peace and understanding because we're all on the same side. To get that thought in your head. We're all on the same side as Christians. That's first and foremost. We don't want to follow the, the, the cards that are played in Washington regarding that. And then this matter of, of love of neighbor, <clears throat> right? The second greatest command given us. Isn't it interesting when you watch political debates or candidates go after each other, or if you listen to what's going on in Congress or the Senate, they all appear to love each other, don't they? One big happy family. Oh, we live on love. We drink love every day. Oh, what's ever in your best interest, it's all for you. Whatever in your, you know what? I don't care what the, what, what the bill is. If, if it's, it's going to benefit you, I'm all for that bill. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to benefit me. That's how it works in there, right? No, hardly, right? They, everyone want, wants to present their bill, and, and there is hatred and, and what some call verbal venom. Do you hear it when you watch some of the stuff going on? And sometimes you hear it among Christians because we can all too easily follow their lead. Well, I'm disappointed when I... I not speaking of anyone here this morning, but when I see Christians with verbal venom on Facebook against certain candidates or, or, or presidents, that's, Christians don't do that. Don't become like many politicians, not all politicians, but don't become like a lot of the politicians where that venom is just thrown back and forth at each other. So much hatred, and you wonder why nothing can get done. The Bible says you are to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, a new commandment. Why don't you read this for me a moment? A new? <clears throat> and that means for us, when, when laws are seeking to be passed and, and you have an opinion on it, what you should be asking is not only how will this law benefit me, or how will this, 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 this uh, a new presidency or administration benefit me? You should be asking what? How is it going to benefit my neighbor as well? Love yourself, but don't forget about your neighbor. And Christians always have an interest in the best interest of others, Philippians 2. Not just what I can get for me, but what's in it for everyone else. Love of neighbor. And then this, this next one is huge. Identity crisis. <clears throat> As long as we have different political parties, people are going to identify themselves by the party they belong to. Have you ever heard one of our politicians say, well, I, well I'm a staunch Republican, but I, you know what? I'm, I'm also a staunch Democrat. Call me whichever you would like. That's my identity. Call me, I'm a politician, but you know where I stand. Politicians often identify themselves as the party that they belong to. And if we're not careful... If we get too passionate about politics, we can identify ourselves by our political party more than the identity that we have in Christ. Someone wrote in one of the articles I read in these past few weeks, never mix your spiritual identity with your political identity. That's a big problem that some of us have. 
You would rather be known by the political party or person you support than about your relationship with Jesus Christ. Your spiritual identity always takes precedence. When it, someone comes to you and asks something like, well, who did you vote for if you want to share with that or not? Or where do you stand politically? Your first response should be, well, let me tell you where I stand first. I'm a Christian. And my identity is in my relationship with Jesus Christ, who's the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's, he's the one really in charge. And there, there are things, I, and I voted this particular way, and I'm aligned to this party because there are certain things that I agree with them that I'm going to support. But your identity and our identity is always, first and foremost, as a Christian. I think this verse in Scripture makes it clear. Paul is writing about Jews and Gentiles, and they weren't getting along. And for a number of reasons, we read about some of them in Romans 14. But he says, listen, when, you, when you're a Christian, there's not a Jew or a Gentile. Don't go in two different camps. There's not slave or free. There's not male or female. What, what can we add there this morning? There's not Republican or Democrat. Don't identify yourself that way. Why? Because for you are all one in Christ. Get this in your heads. That's your identity. Don't, don't enter this identity crisis with, with just letting people know, well, this is, this is what I stand for politically. We are one in Christ. Nothing ever should divide us in that way, no matter how different your opinions might be regarding this matter. And then this matter of truth. Isn't it interesting? Maybe you're aware of this. I think most of you are who, who read anything kind of political journals or the like. I don't know much about the independent party, so forgive me if I don't mention that from time to time, but regarding the two big parties in our nation and in this congregation, um, both parties claim to have the truth. Both parties make it very clear that we're Jesus followers. And we scratch our heads because we kind of say, really, but you believe, but really, but you believe? Both parties claim to be Jesus followers, and both parties, I can rightly say, they do have principles within what they believe that come from Scripture. So neither the Democratic Party or the Republican Party can lay their claim on, but we follow the Scriptures, because no political party can ever claim the market on truth. Not one political party should do that. If you understand both of them and my little understanding that I have, uh, they both can go to scriptures and they do and they quote scripture. Now, I have to say this. Do politicians always tell the truth? <laughs> Sorry if you're a politician here this morning. Uh, they don't. There's lies there just as there are lies in our lies. But when we talk about truth, let's understand what Jesus said. Sanctify, this is Jesus' is praying for people like you and me 2,000 years ago. Sanctify them by the truth, and, and your word is truth. And when you hear a politician or someone that you voted for or a party that you belong to say, well, this is what the Bible says, you can say, great, I'm glad you're going to the Scriptures, because you can go to the Bible and say, yes, I always vote as a Republican uh, for a Republican candidate because I am a, the, abortion is a big deal to me. Someone else can say, well, you know what? I have the same Bible that you have, and I read about poverty. I read about immigration. I read about, I read about the marginalized in society, and I can vote as a Democrat because of that. And you kind of clash at each other, and you start arguing with each other. And you say, well, whose Bible says it better? Let's just be fair and honest. Both sides claim truth from Scripture as, as part of their uh, platform. But the problem is, as with any Christian, they can twist the scriptures to believe what they wanted to say. And even the danger of this morning, I always want to caution for those of you who are Bible students, 
usually I, I will preach on a text, and, 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 right? A, a, a pericope, it's sometimes called, and you preach it from beginning to end. And sometimes when the Bible isn't clear on issues like some things we're talking about this morning, when you just start putting verses in here and there to try to prove your point, it works in this case, but it can be dangerous because all of these verses could be taken out of context. That being said, we're always seeking truth and no one political party corners the market on truth. And then this, this next one is a big one. Idolatry. Uh, probably the easiest definition of idolatry is the one that one of our confessions is called the Heidelberg Catechism. And it talks about idolatry as when you place something or someone either in the place of God or alongside of God. Boys and girls, this is why we're teaching you catechism. When you want to know what idolatry is, it's when you place something or someone in the place of or alongside of God, making that person equal with God or even better than God. That's what idolatry is. And... Um, When it comes to politics, we, we have to be careful of the danger. I pledge allegiance to the flag. Yeah, okay. We do, kind of, we do. But we never pledge allegiance to anything that is greater than God. I'm glad we got that and that it continues to stay in one nation under God thing, even though we're not one nation under God. Uh, be careful who you pledge your allegiance to. If you pledge your allegiance to a political candidate or to a political party more than you pledge your allegiance to God, we have a problem. We have a problem because the greatest allegiance you should have in loyalty and devotion is to God and Jesus Christ. That should be where your greatest devotion and effort is put. And, and, and yes, you can decide what party you want to belong to, but again, make it clear. I don't want those to become an idol an idol that, that God sees. I have more passion and more excitement and more support for who I support politically than I do for the teachings of Jesus Christ. That's a big deal. Watch out for idolatry. And uh, that being said, Matthew 6 says, seek first the kingdom of God. Uh, this, this will keep you from making politics your idol. Seek always first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's the, quote, political party of the kingdom of God you should belong to first and foremost. Seeking first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and understanding how you operate in a society that is bent on evil. Then this matter of church and state. And didn't I tell you we're going to go through these pretty fast? So some of you can calm down now. We're, do, we're doing okay. Church and state. And this is really the difference of the role of the government and the role of the church in which they were instituted by God. The role of church and the role of state. The role of government is simply, according to Romans 13, and I'll, that's coming in my last point, but, but the role of the government is to really restrain evil. That's, God ordained them to, to just keep, to maintain a certain uh, a goodness in society. And when things get out of hand, the government is supposed to step in and restrain evil. God has given them that authority. And in doing so, that means they always are pursuing justice. We can all agree on that. We may not agree on the strategies that a candidate or a party might do to pursue justice, but we all agree that justice needs to be served. The government's task is to restrain evil. <clears throat> and what that means is, as some of us may be corrected in this, the government's task is not to fix the moral problem in our society. That's not their task. They can't do it anyway. 
We can't fix our own mess. That's why Jesus had to come. That's why Jesus had to be crucified and the power of the cross. And this is why when, when I get so disappointed when we go through an election year and another one's coming up, was it next year already? When you go through an election year, we could never use a pulpit as a political platform. Never. I'm so disappointed in those who've been entrusted with preaching the word when they use the pulpit to try to convince people and to convict people on what they believe politically. That's not the place of the pulpit. That's the place of politics. But the pulpit's task is to preach the gospel. Because only the power of the cross and what Jesus did in the cross is able to fix the problems in Washington. Only the cross and the power of Jesus is able to fix the problems in our lives and our sin. The government can't fix that. They don't have the power to fix that. And until the government understands and until every citizen understands, only God can fix that through Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Nothing is going to be fixed and there's going to be this great divide forever and ever. It's the task of the church to transform. Remember Christ transforming culture. Christ entrusted the church with the power to change a life. One life at a time. One citizen at a time. Only Christ can do that with changing hearts and minds and changing behaviors. And that's why Jesus said in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 14, I won't read them right now, but you can read it over as I'm talking. He says, listen, this isn't the government's task that he's talking about in Matthew 5. This is the church's task, and this is the task of the Christian. The government isn't the salt or the light to its citizens and to the world. The word of God is, and you are. And the spirit that God has given you within, you are the salt, he says. And, and salt it preserves, and salt also makes something, you know, it just preserves, helps preserve a society and a person. And light is that light that shines that we can see the truth. Government has nothing to do with that. They try to sometimes. Can the, can the government legislate morality? Well, they can. They can legislate it, and they can give us laws, thankfully, regarding life and how to support life. But they can't change a heart. Don't ever let a politician tell you they can change a person's heart or change a person's mind or change a person's behavior. Only God can do that. And that's why, again, we got we to stop thinking that the pulpit can be used as a political platform to, to, to change a nation. No. The Bible, the Word of God, you and I as the salt and the light are called to do that. And then finally, this matter of submission. Um, yeah, I don't know if our political leaders, if there ever will be a time that they learn what submission is all about and learning to submit to each other, even as politicians. And as I said earlier, there's just so much verbal venom and rhetoric that goes on in Washington. And, and too many of us can join that chorus. And when our, the president we voted for doesn't get into office, and when the party that we're a part of doesn't get into office, there could be a problem that really, we really have to be careful with, and that's how you act and respond. And I'm going to go back to Facebook. Other articles I've read where Christians, their spiritual identity is in being in Christ. And when I read stuff that I read on Facebook and what they're saying of regarding the president who didn't get in or regarding the president who was in, and the hatred and the revenge 
And yeah, I'll pray for you, but I'm praying that you get out of office as soon as you can. That's a problem. The Bible is very clear in Romans 13, and read verses 1 through 7 sometime today. Like it or not, whether it's, whether it's a Christian president or a non-Christian president, God makes something very clear. I put that person into office at this time in history. Again, read about the, the, the kind of government Jesus was under. Uh, not even Jesus and then the apostles beyond when, when this guy by the name of Nero was emperor. How he just killed people ruthlessly. Didn't he care about life and human life? And yet you scratch your heads and I say, well, that was a God-ordained government. Yes, it was. Can't tell you any more about it. Because all the powers that would be, everyone, you must submit yourself to these governing authorities. And you say, ah, but they're not Christian. I'm not going to. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says you submit to your government because they are the the God-ordained authority that he's given to us. And that means you respect them and you honor them. But I don't like them. You don't have to like them, but you can love them. See the difference? You don't have to like them. But you can love them. And you know what this includes? This is another thing and a lot of us are just kind of tiring of because every news, it seems to be the same. We need police officers and we need to respect them. Now, there are bad things that police officers can do just like there are bad things any one of us can do. And they shouldn't do those who have done bad things and justice has its way. It'll be taken care of. But to dare to say that what I don't like seeing, and again, I'm maybe hearing one perspective. It's all any number of citizens, black and white, whatever color you are, nationality you are, when you disobey authorities, there are consequences. And if you just obey authority in the first place, just do what they say. And sometimes you're going to run across some People who just get out of line and they do things they shouldn't do. But even the police force, we should never defund the police force. Can you imagine what would happen in our nation if we took away those people who were set there to help protect us and restrain evil? Now, that's about the only thing I said so far politically this morning that I believe in that I don't want to get anybody else upset with. But it's so important. They need to do their job. That's the government's way of helping to protect us in our society that is often bent on evil. God ordained authorities. And not only that, finally, just in case, well, I don't like the president who got in, so I'm not going to pray for him. <laughs> Boy, the scriptures say, you know what, whether you voted for him or not, he's your president, and you need to pray for him. Pray for your president. Pray, pray for the cabinet. Pray for Congress. Pray for the representatives, pray for judges, governors, go all the way down the line. Even if you don't like them, even if you don't support them politically, my goodness, you know as a Christian, that's what you should be doing. Right now you should be praying for President Biden. Not for his demise. Not for his assassination. You pray for him. It's a tough job. Whoever's in, it's a tough job. You pray for the politicians even though they're not very good examples always to us. The Bible says very clearly, you pray for them. Pray for them and keep them a part of your daily prayers. Politics. Uh, Who should I vote for, Pastor? I thought you were going to tell me who I should vote for today. And I thought you were going to tell me what political party I should belong to today. I'm not going to tell you that at all. I never will. 
because the pulpit should never be used as a political platform. God has given you a conscience. God has given you the Holy Spirit. God has given you his word. And you study his word, and you come with your convictions, and you live them out. And it might be interesting for us to know that God does not have an official political party that he belongs to. And I truly believe that Jesus is not as interested as we think he is of whether who we vote for or what party we belong to. I really don't think it matters that much to him. But what I do know is this, the kingdom of God. There's this kingdom that is not the kingdom of this world. There's this kingdom of God that we continue to learn about as Christians. That's a kingdom of love and joy and peace and togetherness, that we are one in Christ. There's a kingdom of God where we understand the lordship of Jesus Christ and, and that that is our citizenship. You want to talk about citizenship? Philippians, is it two, three? Talks about we, uh, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. Citizens of heaven. And sometimes we just got to back away from all of our political ambitions and, 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 um, and how we support them. And remember, listen, we belong to a kingdom that is not of this world. When Jesus came, how involved did Jesus get with politics? Oh, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Obey those in authority over you. Jesus didn't run for office. He had an office already, prophet, priest, and king. And he came with the kingdom of God, and he's still instilling that in us, and he's still instilling that in us as a church and as individual Christians. Because what our nation needs, what the government needs, what every citizen needs, is one thing, the gospel. No politician is going to bring that. No government is going to bring that. We need the gospel because only the gospel of Jesus Christ can change a heart and a mind and a behavior, and a nation. That and that alone has the power to fix the problems in Washington. So what we need to do as a church body who are one in Christ, make sure we get ourselves involved in that. One life at a time. One life at a time. Because God has given us the spirit and his word and the wisdom to help fix the problems that exist in Washington. And by his grace and by his power, that's our obligation and task. And as we move forward together, we can disagree. We can agree to disagree on certain things politically. But together, we're out to transform lives and to transform culture. We belong to the kingdom of God. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. <clears throat> uh, give us understanding. Give us time to reflect the world. <clears throat> in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a moment to continue in prayer over our, over our nation, over our leaders. I want to say that I'm indebted to Christina Delgado Brown of Crew Campus Crusade for Christ uh, for many of the thoughts here. But let's take a moment to pray over what we just heard. Lord God, we thank you for that timely and convicting word this morning. And Lord, as we think about what we just heard, we, we pray that you would help us to be convinced in our own minds that we would be able to agree to disagree. Lord, may we make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. May we love one another, asking how our decisions will benefit our neighbor. Lord, may we never mix our political identity with our spiritual identity. 
May the truth of Scripture guide us and our leaders, and may it be handled appropriately with integrity. Lord, forgive our idolatry. May we seek your kingdom first. And Lord, may we be salt and light in the world, remembering that only you can change people's hearts. God, with respect for their God-given authority, we want to pray now for our political leaders. So Lord, we pray for President Biden. We, We pray that you would give him divine wisdom to lead this country. We pray that he would serve and revere you in his words and actions. Lord, we lift up Vice President Harris, the cabinet, the advisors to the president. The Bible and history are full of examples of counsel to the king resulting in laws and decisions either leading the nation toward peace and prosperity or leading toward division and destruction. So Lord, we pray that you would surround our president with good, wise counsel to direct him as he leads our nation. Jesus, you're the Prince of Peace. And we pray for the Senate and the House of Representatives as they make laws to govern our land and to delegate resources. Please grant them wisdom as they do that. And Lord, raise up people who will make laws to protect our freedom so we can live peaceful, quiet lives in godliness and dignity, as the word says. Lord, we, we lament the political division that exists in our nation and how that plays out in Congress, especially with them being just fiercely divided into these tribal political parties and often unwilling to work together and compromise for the good of the nation. We pray against that divisiveness that plagues our land. We humbly plead, God, that by your miraculous power, members of Congress would put personal agendas aside and work together in humility to serve for the good of others. Lord Jesus, you are the righteous judge who will judge the nations. And we lift up our Supreme Court this morning. We pray that they would judge rightly before you and uphold what is true. We pray for balanced judgment that upholds our Constitution, Lord. Grant them divine wisdom to decipher what is right, and may all the judges across our land, from local level to high courts, may they lean on you to help them judge wisely and fairly. Father God, we pray for Governor Holcomb and our state and local officials. Please grant them grace to face their many challenges of political unrest and COVID decisions, law enforcement, racial division, and so on. Please give them insight into the needs of their communities and discernment to make decisions that lead our state and our community well. Lord Jesus, even though our hearts are often heavy for our nation, we are filled with hope because our hope is not in politics. Our hope is in you. We know that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you alone are Lord. So God, forgive us for placing our hope in our government or in political ideologies or in other things like comfort or financial security. We repent, God, that in our prosperity as a nation, we have forgotten you and we have become self-reliant. And our hearts are really quick to wander. We repent of our idolatry. Lord, please teach us 
to keep in the front of our minds that our primary citizenship is in heaven. And we ask that you would keep building your kingdom in our lives and in our world. In Jesus' name we pray.